It's at the letters for Thursday, January 7th, a very busy one in the MLB world. My name's Arden Swelling, joined as always by Ben Nicholson-Smith. Our producer this week is Michael Mayers, and Mike Tassoni, as always, uh, is with us handling the video, getting us up on YouTube. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please like, share, favorite, and subscribe. Ben, the big news today, Francisco Lindor is not going to be a Toronto Blue Jay. Uh, he's going to be a New York Met uh, as the Mets swung the the obviously the uh, the big deal for Lindor and Carlos Carrasco today, getting back a couple big league infielders, a couple uh, pretty far off minor league uh, lottery tickets, if you want to call them that. Um, ben, I think a lot of Blue Jays fans were expecting that Francisco Lindor might be patrolling shortstop at uh you know, in Dunedin, Wherever, maybe to begin, yeah, to yeah. begin this season, but eventually at Rogers Center for a lot of years to come. So obviously a lot of disappointment there. How do you think the Blue Jays fans should feel about the fact that Francisco Lindor is going to be a New York Met? Wow. I mean, what a day. I'm still uh, kind of taking in all of the information here. There's the Sagano deadline, of course, Lindor trade. That's massive. It's probably, you know, it's, thinking about this as I was writing today, it's got to be the biggest move we're going to see this offseason, right? Like, regardless of what happens with Springer or LeMay, I mean, those guys aren't quite the caliber of player that Lindor is, really. The biggest trade, I would say. I mean, it depends. If Trevor Bauer signed, like, a, you know, six or seven year, like, you know, mass nine-figure contract, how do you measure that up versus a Lindor trade? Right. Yeah. But, I mean, this is, this is up there. It's a, a massive deal. And, yeah, as for how Blue Jays, I mean, I... I you know, how Blue Jays fans respond. I, I think based on some of the ones that I've heard from, it seems like today has been a, a bit of a tough day, um, understandably. And I never, you know, I, I think both of us are, and we never tell fans how to respond. Um, so if you're upset, you're upset. I mean, that's, that's part of the beauty of being a fan. I think, you know, how I interpret this is it's one option crossed off the board. It's the very best option. Lindor, I think is the very best player who was available or who will be available this winter. So the very best option is crossed off the board. But did we realistically think that Lindor was ever likely to land in Toronto anyway? It was, it was certainly a possibility. I'm not saying it wasn't a possibility. Okay. So it, it was, yeah. but when I say likely, I mean like literally, was it ever like over 50%, you know? I thought it was a real possibility. Yes. I don't know if I ever put a percentage on it, but I really right. did think it was a good possibility just because I know that the Blue Jays front office likes them a great deal. Yeah. Um, and because they were looking to improve on the infield clearly and because they made an offer for him last off season, like, it's not like the first time they tried to acquire him. So like, I thought it was pretty, you know, realistic. Yes. Realistic. Totally. It's, and I'm not trying to rewrite history and say, this was never a possibility. It was a possibility and it was the best possibility. And now it's off the table. And so at this point, the Blue Jays, you know, I, I, I would caution people to say that this is like disaster because right. almost everyone in this slow moving off season is still available. So yeah. you still have real Mudo. They're in on him. You still have Bauer. They met with him since we've last recorded a podcast. They still have Lomehi and Springer. And those guys are very much in the mix. And if anything, we'll get to this, but if anything, Springer might be a little more available to the blue Jays right now. So, you know, if, if you're a blue Jays fan, and, and Thursday, you're thinking, all right, Lindor's still available and the Jays might get Sagano. And then at the end of the day, Lindor's gone and Sagano's gone. So I understand it's, it's disheartening. Those are legitimately good players and the Jays aren't going to get them. So if you're a fan and that's upsetting, I totally understand. Do you think that, and the answer to this question is yes, do you think that the Blue Jays could have beaten 
this offer eventually <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Francisco Lindor? And the answer is yes. yes. Um, and it's always tough, right, to play the equivalency game. And it's actually really tough here because there aren't really perfect comps for the Blue Jays. Because look, the you know the big thing that Cleveland gets out of this is two like major league infielders today. Right. Like Andres Jimenez, like came into the season as a top 30 MLB prospect, came in 2020 and then like proved it at the big league level. The Blue Jays don't really have that guy. You know, you could like you could kind of sub in Jordan Groshans, I guess, but he hasn't played the you know, at the big league level, whereas Jimenez has proven it. Then you take Ahmed Rosario, who is another guy who, you know, his prospect shine has kind of worn off a little bit, but he has proven that he's a capable guy at the big league level. He hasn't been quite as good as people thought he might be, but he can play several positions on the infield. You know, he can run. Um, the bat was better in 2019 than in 2020. But, you know, there isn't a perfect comp there for the Blue Jays. You could say, like, maybe Kevin Biggio, but, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily oh, a direct yeah. line i think you know? is better than Ahmed rosario for sure right yeah so it, it's it's kind of hard even to create uh you know an equivalent package for the blue jays so they were going to have to beat the quantity that cleveland received with likely quality so that would be i would suggest like two premier prospects so think like groshans plus manoa or if Cleveland absolutely needs big league talent now, which it seems like they kind of do. And it seems like they do want to continue to contend. Like they're sort of trying to Tampa Bay raise their way through this and decreasing payroll substantially while staying competitive. Yep. And they should in that division, really. Um, so then maybe that means you got to throw in a Guriel. So maybe it's Groshans and Guriel plus a super young prospect who's pretty far away, like a Klofenstein or somebody like that i mean to me that would be kind of the equivalent package but then that comes down to how cleveland values those guys whether they wanted the quality over quantity package we've seen a lot in the past this is an organization that typically actually goes quantity over quality um in these trades it's not you know as easy as saying well the blue jays could have beaten this i mean yeah they could have offered austin martin right or nate pearson and that would have easily beaten it but you know when in comparing packages like i don't know if it just if it lines up that evenly. What I do know is the Blue Jays have made offers in the past for Francisco Lindor. Clearly, they weren't able to consummate a deal with Cleveland. I bet you they know exactly what they could have offered to make that deal happen. And I'd say that price just proved prohibitive. Yeah, and we'll see if they, you know, if, if the Mets are able to extend Lindor. Because to me, that's one of the big variables here. And one that obviously would have informed the Blue Jays' interest. I mean, if they thought that Lindor was set on testing free agency as obviously as his right as a player on the brink of that threshold, then maybe you're just not as inclined to give up a lot. I don't know. That's total. I'm just presenting the question rather than an answer yeah. to it. Um, but I do think that, you know, the, the Mets are going to have to answer that question now. And that would have been at the forefront of Blue Jays thinking. That's a huge question <laughs> that we don't have an answer to is, is can you extend this guy? We don't know how Francisco Lindor, you know, feels about an extension in Toronto. We don't know how he feels about spending the next eight, nine, 10 years in Toronto. We don't know how his family feels about that, where they want to live. Um, we don't know how much pressure Francisco Lindor is feeling to test free agency as a member of MLBPA's executive subcommittee. I mean, this is, you know, one of the most influential players in the game within the union. So that comes with uh, a certain level of, 
you know, responsibility probably isn't the, the right word, but, you know, uh, uh, just a little bit of maybe added pressure to really leverage your status as an elite talent in this game as much as possible to secure the largest deal possible in order to be that, you know, that, that high tide that raises all other boats. So, you know, with, with the Blue Jays where they are right now, I just don't think you are paying the price it would have taken to acquire Francisco Lindor and Carrasco as well, by the way, in this deal, who is like not a throw into this deal, like a very real legit starting pitcher. I don't think you're paying that price if you don't really feel strongly that you're going to be able to extend Lindor. Yeah, I mean, evidently the Jays did not uh, did not feel that they were they were going to match Cleveland's price. Like I think you know, in some alternate world, we're recording a podcast where the Blue Jays did do that, and I think in, you know if the, the Jays had, tone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean if if the Jays had offered, let's say it was Groshans and Manoa and Santiago Espinal and Klaffenstein, and then that that was it, and they got Carrasco and Lindor for that. I mean, I think I think I would be saying that's a good trade for the Jays. Because you can kind of figure it out. Like, is he going to stay long-term? Who knows? Carrasco, at least, is a really good pitcher. Um, Lindor, obviously, is a five-win player anytime he takes the field. So there's real value in 2021, regardless of what happens beyond that, to having his age 27 season. So I love this deal for the Mets. I think if the Blue Jays had paid an equivalent price, I think that would have been fine, personally. But, uh, you know, they did not. I just think for the Blue Jays, it had to be about more than just 2021. It always like, is. Right? Yeah. The Blue Jays are, you know, they're a decent team for 2021. Like, it's not unreasonable to expect them to, you know, contend for the postseason to return there and, you know, to win, you know, 82, 83 games, maybe in a 162 game schedule, which we are very unlikely to get, but we can work off of that. Um, but I don't think that the Blue Jays are a Francisco Lindor away from contending for an ALE's title and contending for championships. And like, I do wonder if sometimes people lose sight of the fact that the Blue Jays are still on the upward trajectory of this uh, quote unquote rebuild. Like they're still coming out of it, you know, like they aren't reaching the apex yet. Like they're still moving up. So, you know, what we have seen from them is that um, in a 60 game season with an expanded playoff field, they can earn a wild card spot and get absolutely demolished by the Tampa Bay Rays. Like that's where they are. And I don't think adding one Francisco Lindor to that mix all of a sudden makes them like AL East favorites. You know, I think it's a Francisco Lindor and a George Springer and a Trevor Bauer, you know, or, and internal breakouts and a whole bunch more depth, by the way, because guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to, are going to underperform. So Lindor had to be part of a long-term play for the Toronto Blue Jays, like a next seven or eight years play, which is why the extension was absolutely paramount. And if the Blue Jays didn't feel confident in signing him to one, then I think it is perfectly fine to continue on with, oh, by the way, Bo Bichette as your shortstop, who is probably the best player on the team right now, while you continue to develop Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin as young infielders um, who could have really big bats at the MLB level and could be here sooner than later and then maybe if you need to dip back into the infield market hey next off season Correa, Seager, Trevor Story, Baez, whole bunch of guys are going to be on the market a whole bunch of alternatives there for you. Maybe Lindor maybe we'll be having this <laughs> yeah. conversation about him in 12 months who knows I mean yeah I think I think it's true it's um you know this this team is multiple pieces away they're not just on the brink of of turning around with one signing no matter how good that signing is and you know to be fair the Blue Jays are still trying to add those multiple pieces. And I, I agree with you when you say it's it's perfectly fine to be in the spot that they're in. 
it's not better than that. It's not worse than that. Like it's pretty, it's, you know, they're kind of in, the, they're basically where they started, you know, when yeah. we, we've been talking about <laughs> yeah. this off season for a long time now, they've added Robbie Ray, which great, but um, that's all like to, they've cut loose Travis Shaw and AJ Cole and they've added Robbie Ray. And other than that, nothing, you know, so they have a lot of work to do. They're not even close to where they need to be. They're not that great of a team right now. They're a good team. They're an ascending team. They're not a bad team, which, you know, we've talked about some, some bad Blue Jays teams on this podcast, but they're not a great team. And so, you know, they, they have a lot of options. I feel like I'm stating the obvious here, but, you know, they have a lot of options. One of them was cut off. The best of those options is cut off. And now they have a lot of other ones that they can explore in the course of the next few months. But I, I will say just real quick here, I just, I do want to just say, I love this trade for the Mets. Like for the yeah. Mets, this is awesome. So good for them. Sure. And, and so as it pertains to the Mets and the Blue Jays, we know those two teams have been heavily interested in George Springer. Do, would you say that the Francisco Lindor trade makes it more likely that the, that uh, the Mets go after George Springer and, and sign him to a contract or does it make it less likely that they sign George Springer? Man, this has been like the topic of my thoughts for the last few hours here. Um, I, I still don't know that I have a clear, clear answer um, I, I did find it interesting that Andy Martino of SNY, who's very plugged into the Mets, reported on Thursday afternoon that the Mets still might have some interest in Springer, but are now less likely to sign him now that they have added Lindor and Carrasco to their books. Um, their payroll now is at about 177 in commitments. CBT is 210. And Martino says that the Mets are kind of free to go up to about one night. So if you look at those numbers, they're definitely going to have to move some pieces if they're going to add from huh. spring. So they they will not spend to the luxury tax. That's what the suggestion. Yeah, that's what, because I, I just quote tweeted Martino and then he replied to me saying they're good to go to 190. So I'm like, okay, interesting. <laughs> All right. I, you this know, is I, happening as we record. Interesting. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's that's an interesting piece of information if it's true which Super I interesting. believe it to be because that would pretty much say that the Mets are very much on the outside looking in then for Springer and that would seemingly position the Blue Jays as favorites. No it changes everything because as we were going to you know get to this in, in a couple of minutes about kind of recalibrating expectations for George Springer and th- yep. this you know let's layer it in right now you know we had been kind of operating under an assumption that springer would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 125 mm-hmm. on on a deal it seems like that might have been a little light uh you know and, and some of the reporting you've done and some of the stuff that we're hearing even out in new york i mean you had said oh it could be more like 150 some stuff coming out of new york recently that's like how about 175 <laughs> so it like it seems like maybe 125 over 5 ain't going to get it done however if the Mets are no longer in and if the Mets like can't, you know, are going to have to, and look, maybe they trade a Conforto, right? Like if you're out yeah. in a Springer, like that can make sense. So maybe yeah. you, you trade a Conforto maybe or Nimmo or yeah, I guess Conforto probably makes the most out of those outfielders they have, right? You'd probably be making the most for them. Right. So that could like free out, free up the money. I don't know. Maybe if you're Steve Cohen, like you just start writing some checks, right. <laughs> you know, cause look, you know, it, if you're really pushing to win a World Series right now, which it seems like they are, if they're really pushing to put to put their club over the top, the Mets should go get 
George Springer. Yeah. Like they should like think about the division they play in. You got the Atlanta Braves in that division who are one of the best young teams in baseball. We know the Washington nationals can spend and want to be good. And, and they still have some very, very good pitchers in that organization. And I don't think that the Phillies hired Dave Dombrowski to tear things down and to rebuild. So it's going to be a competitive division. So if you're the Mets, you got to keep pushing and like put this thing over the top but you know on the other hand they have some interesting sort of payroll hoops to jump through coming up because they have as we mentioned like conforto pending free agent stroman's going to be a free agent Syndergaard's going to be a free agent so there might be some more commitments upcoming in terms of extensions and like you said they're already pretty close to the luxury tax like the makes a whole ton of money uh you know they got carrasco's money on books now but yeah you're gonna have to try to extend francisco lindor which ain't yep. gonna be cheap so I, yeah i don't know i guess i'm kind of talking my way around to seeing it from both sides i, I guess know. i'm like you i don't know where i land on this yeah I, I i have looked at it through a few different lenses to this point i think where i land is it's good for the jays um, yeah. now good for the jays only matters if it actually leads to a deal and we've seen not just this year but we've seen over the years they can have serious interest in a player and have it not result in a deal so i'm not going to be surprised if i wake up one day and you know george springer is a national or something like that like it just it wouldn't it just won't shock me but i think if we're looking at it as objectively as we can and that's probably an impossibility both for I'll speak for myself, for me, and probably for a lot of our listeners, it's probably really hard to be truly objective here. But um, just given that we watch so much more Blue Jays, we're so much more focused on the Blue Jays. But I do think that to the extent that I can look at this objectively, I I think the Blue Jays are as well positioned as any team to sign Springer and probably better than the Mets and probably better than any team. So they have to be considered still in that mix. We know they like Springer. And, you know, my sense is, and I've said this in a couple other places, but my sense is that the Blue Jays value him comfortably at 125 and that they would go to 125 without, you know, being too perturbed by that. And so the question is, how much higher than that do you go? And like, I don't see them signing. Like, I, I don't see it going, the Jays signing him for 29 times seven or something. Like, yeah. I, I don't see that. But even though he has a case, by the way, as we've discussed, for, you know, an Anthony Rendon type AAV, if you look at their numbers side by side, but I, right. I don't see the Jays going to 35 times six or 29 times seven. I just don't see that happening, but could it be 28 times five? Like that really wouldn't shock me. What we know about the Blue Jays is that they're, they're very disciplined in their valuations and they're very disciplined in free agency. And so before they ever even engaged with George Springer, they would have established a pretty clear walkaway point that they would say yeah we're not going to we're not going beyond this upper limit of of our in in negotiations and like walkways are they're good process you know they they strip away some of the uh emotion and uh you know you mentioned being objective and subjective like some of that subjective bias that can creep in when like hey you've been up all night and you're seeing your alternatives like go away and you've been negotiating going back and forth and it's emotional and intense and all of a sudden you're like oh fine right and you're just making a mistake like those walkaways like allow you to be you know to to guard against making those mistakes but MLB free agency often isn't kind to the disciplined and to the the rational, like the famous Andrew Friedman quote, if you're rational about every free agent, you'll finish third on every free agent. And that's like particularly true at the top of the market 
where George Springer obviously resides, where the Blue Jays are, are looking to operate. Like uh, oftentimes, it's like Toronto real estate, man. Like if you want something really good, there there comes a time where you kind of have to extend yourself and make an offer that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Otherwise, somebody else is going to get the house. So, you know, do you really think that, because it sounds like 5125 might not get it done. So do you really think that the Blue Jays will go beyond that if Springer wants more like 150, 175, and he can make a, a reasonable case based on Rendon? Yeah, and he, he can make a reasonable case. And I think, you know, it's it's like when I look at their numbers side by side, and you know, you can find this on sportsnet.ca where there's you know the numbers are there, it's it's reasonable. Of course, it's also academic. Like the that point might be good. But it also doesn't matter unless it it persuades an actual team in that market to to respond. And we all know that this market is very different. Of course, the pandemic affects things. Revenues have really affected the eagerness on the part of teams to spend. Um, that I think that much is indisputable. There's a whole other question to be or discussion to be had around finances and MLB owners and accountability. But at the very least, we can say that teams are not as eager to spend right now. So that might mean that guys take a hit on years, on AAV. We're kind of expecting based on you know what we're hearing so far that the top guys still will get paid, but that's not a certainty until it happens either. And so I guess that's a long way of saying, I do think that the Blue Jays would go over that threshold. I don't think that they're gonna go to, like I, I this is total speculation. Okay, I'm just guessing right. here, but I think that their final walkaway number would be under 150. And I think it would be over 135. Um, but that's, that's, I'm guessing like, that's like, <laughs> that's pretty much just guessing there. Um, yeah. But I do, I, you know, I've been told like I have a pretty clear sense from other people in the industry that, it, you know, they, they would be willing to be a very serious bidder for Springer. Like that's not eyewash. Like I think that if the Mets back out and they're not in, like there might be a path to a deal with the Jays there. Springer needs leverage is the thing. And if, the, if this is going to dissuade the Mets from, you know, bidding top dollar for him, like that hurts him, which sucks. And we've been, you know, talking about this a lot through the, the, the lens of teams. Uh, but like to look at it through the lens of like George Springer, like that sucks for him. Because he if it's only really been the Mets and Blue Jays involved to this point, and now if he's losing the Mets as leverage to use against the Blue Jays, well, it's going to be hard for him to get up to that 150, 175 range that he wants to be in, that he has an academic case to be in. And like we, we all, uh, I was looking at this the other day, we all forget George Springer was one of the like most grievous victims of service time manipulation. Like we, we talk about Chris Bryant and other guys, but like look up what George Springer did in uh, like the year before he was, uh, he made his MLB debut. Like he, absolutely demolished double a and triple a pitching like i'm talking about an over 1000 ops stayed healthy the entire year like played a great center field he was a college draftee so at that point he was like you know 23 like for sure a major leaguer like for sure and what did the astros do in 2014 they sent him back to triple a for two weeks at the beginning of the season like exactly classic. 13 games like classic classic case yeah. Um, and meanwhile, like they were playing like LJ hose in the outfield at the big league level, you know, like they're just, they're, you know, they're playing guys that were going to be out of the league in, in a year and probably wouldn't be in the league if they weren't on, you know, an Astros team that had been tanking. 
Um, like he was, his service time was absolutely like heinously manipulated and they got seven years out of him instead of the six that they should have gotten. And yes, like Springer was super two. And in his final year with the Astros, he was, you know, I don't know offhand, but I'm sure it was around 20 million bucks that he was making and through arbitration, he did fine. Like nobody has to feel really bad for him, but he could have hit and should have hit free agency a year earlier than he did. So like, just looking at it from a player perspective, like George, go get your money, man. Like get your 150, get your 175, get every last cent that they are going to give you. Like get every dime, get every contract perk, get your suite on the road, get your parking spots for family members at whatever ballpark you're going to be playing out of. Like, you know, friggin' shake Steve Cohen by his ankles and like every last hedge fund dime, get him out of there because... Uh, for that guy to have had his service time manipulated coming into the league and now to have finally gone to free agency and every team in the league is crying poor and saying, oh, I have these revenues, like we just can't spend on talent anymore and to not have multiple bidders for a really good franchise center fielder, uh, you know, demoralizes me from the player perspective. So go get paid, George, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I see that. And I think, you know, it's, you never know when there's going to be a late bidder for one of these players. And, you know, I think, we don't know who that would be, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know anything more than what I'm saying. I just, you never know. George Springer is really good. He would help a lot of teams, so you, you never know. And if it is just the Blue Jays, then maybe they don't actually have to get to that final walkaway number. You know, let's say for argument's sake, they had earmarked, all right, we could go to 135, but their offer on the table to them is for argument's sake 125. And maybe you just kind of leave it there and let it sit for a while and see what happens. We shall see. Uh, let's let's uh, step away and come back and round up some of the other happenings around MLB and how they impact Blue Jays, all that, so much more when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Swelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers this week are Michael Mayers and Mike Tassoni. Ben, it is not only Francisco Lindor that the Blue Jays have missed out on uh, this week. Uh, also, a couple of uh, Pacific Rim players who were, uh, well, one of them's coming over to MLB, the other one's going to uh, go back to Asia, uh, Hassan Kim and Tomoyuki Sugano, uh, two players that the Blue Jays had interest in, uh, two players that uh, were led to believe the Blue Jays bid on, and two players that are going to play for other teams in uh, in 2021. Let's start with Sugano because it's just kind of top of mind because it kind of came right down to the deadline here on uh, Thursday, January 7th at 5 o'clock with Sugano actually choosing to go back to NPD. And this sort of negotiation was interesting to watch play out there was quite a bit of it happening publicly uh i promise you there was like a very good reason that the extremely specific contract details that sugano had on the table from the omiuri giants were made as public as uh, as they were the, the giants offering him a four-year deal with three opt-outs which mean that he can uh you know basically just do this all over again next winter and the winter after that and winter after that if he uh if he really wants to um you know he he was telling the industry hey i've got i've got leverage i've got a good option on the table you need to meet my price or i'm going to go back to japan and clearly mlb teams were not willing to blink on what sugano was was looking for what do you kind of make of how this all ended up and, and should the blue jays have extended themselves further than uh than they did 
Well, I mean, to answer that second one would probably require more familiarity with Sigano than I, like, I honestly haven't really watched a ton. I can, I mean, I know the numbers look great. um, And he's the two-time winner of their starting pitching award for the best starting pitcher. So that's a good starting point. And he's just 31 years old. So there's presumably some good years left there for Sigano. Um, Yeah, it's, it's another interesting one. And it ties into what we were just talking about with George Springer, because you know, I think in this case, the Blue Jays clearly had interest in Sigano. And uh, according to some of the reporting, they even went so far as to make an offer. I believe Ken Rosenthal reported that their offer was considered a strong bid. So they were there, they had some interest, but again, when push came to shove and obviously Wasserman, his agency was trying to push that along and trying to seemingly, uh, you know, get some of those uh, more enticing offers in at the last minute, but Evidently, the Blue Jays did not budge their offer or did not budge their offer enough to entice him to sign in Toronto. So it's a classic example, right, of this is a team that likes a player to a point. And then to another point, they're going to say, all right, we're going to go and try to upgrade our pitching staff in other ways. Opportunities and alternatives, man. That's what it comes down to. I know. Uh, And leverage too, right? And look, if Sugano didn't have uh, MLB leverage, I don't see why the blue jays uh should have been out there negotiating against themselves you know if he's if his leverage is i'm going to go back to npb and it's like okay fine <laughs> you know that like i i don't think that that would be enough to get the blue jays to budge you know if it was hey the red Sox are actually offering me you know x amount more than you are okay maybe that would have been different but also maybe the blue jays were just at their walk away and maybe they were just going to be disciplined about it and uh you know like it gets back to you know if you're going to be rational about every free agent yeah you can finish uh second even to nbb teams <laughs> apparently <laughs> uh so it, like i you know look where this hurts for the blue jays is that they're aren't a lot of great free agent starting pitching options you know it's kind of right now it is bauer in like a tier of his own on this starting pitching market and then there is quite a steep drop off to the second tier of i mean is Odorizzi kind of the second you know i mean mate you, you <laughs> hendrix yeah. I, if we're talking you know just strict starting pitching i mean Odorizzi. you know like there's not yeah. i know walk, every Tyler time walker yeah but, tanaka is in that oh yeah, tanaka, yeah um paxton i guess like every time i'm typing this for whatever reason i always think i'm forgetting someone it feels like, like you sure, are right yeah, yeah. Like, there's got to be someone who's you know <laughs> between bauer and these these other pitch- not that they're not you know skilled pitchers but it just for a for a free agent class it, it really it does drop off pretty quickly and i think sugano would have been like the second best pitcher available after bauer uh, on you know as a as a free agent like, I, I don't think that the, I can't think of somebody who, you know, if Gossman had hit the open market, yeah. like, I guess you could Stroman. have put him in there. Yeah, if Strowman had hit the open market, certainly. Uh, but those guys didn't. And they did no. qualifying offers. And, you know, maybe with the way free agency is going, uh, it kind of makes some sense that they took their qualifying offers and good for them. But it would have been interesting to to see Sugano make the jump and see how he would have fit in with the uh, with the Blue Jays, you know, it's, uh, I think that Shun Yamaguchi obviously provides a bit of a cautionary tale of the risk there, you know, as mm-hmm. does you say, uh, Kikuchi with, with Seattle, yeah. who like it by all and 
um, you know, from some of the reporting, it seems like Sugano wanted a deal approaching Kikuchi's, which was four years, $56 million. Uh, and Kikuchi has gone to Seattle and given up a whole bunch of home runs and hasn't had a ton of success. You know, Blue Jays fans are familiar with how Shun Yamaguchi's first year went and trying to make the jump from NPB to MLB competition. And there's, you know, it's not just facing better hitters, but it's actually pitching with a different ball, yeah. which is, you know, a, an adjustment. And, you know, it's pitching on a different schedule as well, particularly for starters. Starters in NPB pitch once a week. Uh, they have a mandated off day, which is something that like MLB should actually look into is that like every team gets an off day on, on Monday sort of thing, but that's how MPB schedules work. So it's a six man rotation and you know, which day of the week you were pitching every week. So it's a more compact schedule. It changes your routines in between starts. Um, and this isn't even to touch on like the obvious lifestyle adjustments that go from living in Asia to, to living in North America. So you really never know like how a guy will respond how a guy will fare until he makes that jump like obviously it was not an issue for you darvish was not an issue for masahiro tanaka so you can find examples of guys who made that leap and Maeda. were successful right and yeah. examples of guys who, who made that leap and, and struggled and, and were challenged by it uh and it looks like we aren't going to find out um this year how sagana would fare but it looks like we might find out after next year if he opts out of the giants deal yeah, he certainly got some chances to come back over here. So maybe we will. But it's, you know, it's it's like any group of players, right? It's like, you know, if you get burned by drafting one lanky high school lefty, are you never going to draft a high school lefty again? I mean, that yeah. would kind of cut you off from uh, some pretty good players if you, if you don't do that. So, yeah, I think that it's, you know, obviously Yamaguchi it is a cautionary tale. And yet... Sagano seemed to be positioned uh, to, to make that adjustment more smoothly, to provide more value at the major league level. The Blue Jays clearly felt that he could have helped them. And when you look at their rotation and kind of the state that it's in right now, um, it's hard to disagree, um, even <laughs> without the benefit of, you know, having watched Sagano extensively. Uh, anyone who could post a 197 ERA in Japan could probably help this Blue Jays rotation. And then so now, you know, they do start you know, there's obviously the trade market too, which is very interesting with names like Luis Castillo and, and Sonny Gray. Um, they're, they're out there missing someone. Um, but, um, but yeah, there are certainly names on the trade market that can also add to those options for the Jays. Yeah. I mean, now with Carrasco being off the board, like, you know, that takes another option away. Um, this is a team that needs to get better at pitching the, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this is, you know, it's funny, like when we talk about this off season, so many of the premier free agents are position players. So we naturally just end up talking about, you know, how DJ LeMahieu would fit or, you know, putting George Springer in the outfield and, oh, if you miss on Springer, maybe you grab Jackie Bradley Jr. And you know, maybe you Colton Wong in the infield and Hey, JT Realmuto would make you a lot better behind the dish. Like, Hey, somebody's got to throw the ball. Somebody's got to pitch. Uh, and the Blue Jays did not pitch well enough last season. And they are not yet deep enough um, as in, in terms of starting pitching. Like they, they didn't necessarily have a, a breakout starter this year who, who showed up to the majors and, and just was immediately rolling um, and, and fulfilling their potential. Like Nate Pearson, a little rocky. We all expect he's going to be much, much better in the future. And I'm still very high on Nate Pearson. Like I think he's going to be like exceptional the big league level, but he's clearly still making that transition, right? And, and getting used to big league, uh, you know, to big league hitters. You know, Thomas Hatch looked really good. You know, you'd probably prefer that he was starting the year at AAA uh, and a depth starter for you and not necessarily in your rotation to begin to begin the season. So the Blue Jays are going to need to add some pitching 
one more starter at least on top of Robbie Ray, if not two, and definitely some bullpen help as well. Um, and the options in free agency, at least kind of like the premier options, uh, you know, have kind of bled away to where it's just Bauer right now. And then there is kind of a group of everyone else. So I think you're right. I think it would have to come via trade if the Blue Jays were going to really upgrade significantly there. Um, but I'm just not sure where those opportunities might lie right now. Yeah. And also since we last recorded, of course, we've seen the Padres go out and add Blake Snell and you Darvish just a week ago, I think. It feels like way longer. Yeah, but um, yeah, they they've gone out and made some very significant additions. Uh, you know, Darvish had a 12 team uh, no trade list. This is not, you know, not necessarily uh, official or confirmed, but one presumes with a fair degree of, of you know, uh, logical certainty behind that, that the Blue Jays were on that list because they were yeah. before and, you know, that, that just kind of fits. Um, so that's an opportunity that doesn't seem as fully available to them. They are going to have to find something, though. I mean, to your broader point, this team, like, they had a real run prevention problem. They allowed... I think it was, you know, only three or four teams allowed more runs than the Blue Jays this year. So they really do need to improve their pitching. And Sagano could have been a piece of that. You look around, they obviously are looking at guys who can help on both sides of the ball, like a Real Muto, like a Springer. Those guys would help. Those guys would would fit. Hassan Kim would have been a fit in that department, potentially, depending on what you think of his defense. Another guy who ended up with the Padres. It's a great week for them. Um, but uh but yeah, it's uh, they are at some point the Jays need to add to their pitching staff in a meaningful way, and not just one. Yeah, thank you for reminding me. I wanted to touch on Hassan Kim, who like yeah, as you mentioned, it feels like a long time ago. It wasn't that long ago. Um, Hassan Kim ended up with with the Padres. We we you know we led to believe that the Blue Jays were very involved in that um, and and made a, a strong offer there. Uh, again, you know, it's like you said, right? They like a player to a point, you know, and to an extent and to a, an upper limit. And uh, you know, it seems like they didn't get beyond where San Diego went. Um, maybe Hassan Kim and his family just preferred the West coast, you know, maybe they just preferred to be in San Diego. Like if I were him putting myself in his shoes and it's like, Hey, you know, this is a team that is getting really good is like a legitimate world series contender in the NL, uh, is on the West coast. So I'm closer to home in Korea and I get to live in San Diego, which is just a wicked place to live. And the weather's beautiful and there's beaches and everything's wonderful pretty good case right yeah. like yeah can't I, argue with him you know like i so, you know if it was comparable between san diego and toronto i personally just thinking about it through his from his perspective i would probably choose san diego as well um so i think toronto is going to have to go above and beyond for that but you know i, I think that he would have just been a great fit with this with this team considering his age his youth um considering his athleticism considering he plays various positions i mean he's everything the blue jays like you know athletic versatile he's got that like explosive swing at the plate the blue jays like um and you could have fit him into you know into uh into your lineup in a variety of ways he wouldn't have cut you off from from anything and i don't know that we've seen the actual terms yet of his deal but they you know i don't think they would have been prohibitive to the blue jays doing anything else so you know i just personally like like coming into this offseason i was kind of looking at, you know, Real Muto and Kim as the two guys are like, man, that would be a really, really good offseason. If they got those two guys and then, you know, a Ray and a Walker or whatever, right? But like if those two guys are kind of the center of it, I think that was would have been really good moves. Blue Jays missed out on Kim. Padres are going to be really good. The Mets are going to be really good. 
how the Blue Jays upgrade remains to be seen. Yeah, and, and the Jays want to insert themselves into that t- you know tier of ascending teams, right? Where the Padres clearly, I mean, I think they've they've done it. I think that they are in that tier of the National League's elite right now with the Dodgers and Atlanta. The Mets, I think, you know, they're on their way. I don't know if they're quite there. I haven't totally gotten a feel for what their overall um, projections look like, but you know, they they look like a playoff team, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. And and I think the Jays still have a chance to do that. Hassan Kim would have helped them. I think, you know, when I look at the Padres, the deal that I think would have fit best for the Jays would have been Darvish. It just doesn't seem like that was a possibility. Um, so, you know, there, there are going to be some of those missed opportunities. And, and, you know, this isn't a surprise, right? Like in the course of an off season, let's say a couple hundred players end up in new spots yeah. and you're not going to get everyone. <laughs> you're not going to get everyone. Right. Like, yeah. and maybe a couple dozen all-stars change teams and, you know, the Jays are going to be in on every one of the all-stars that changes teams this winter, but they're even in a good scenario, they're going to miss out on 85% of them, you know? And so, and that's the, that's not just the blue Jays. You know, if you're, if, and I, I obviously don't follow other teams quite as closely, but you see frustration from other fan bases and you see um, these, uh, these responses where it's like, Oh, the Red Sox always miss or, you know, team X always yeah. misses. Well, not always, but usually every team misses. So the Blue Jays are usually going to miss and it can't be always. They do have to upgrade. And again, like if they haven't upgraded whenever spring training starts and, you know, it's time to start it for the season, we'll be having a different conversation. But right now, almost everyone's available. The possibilities there, they haven't done anything, but they still have all those options. So it's still like they're, uh-huh. they're still in this like neutral zone, basically. No, you're right. We're such like prisoners to the moment, right? Like it's, it's everything's in this like vacuum of Lenore and of Kim. And like, when you really do pull it out and like, look at the broader view of the off season, like what percentage of like league wide off season business would you say has occurred to this point? 10, 15, you know, think about all the players that, that have like your top, you know, five players in the market, like Bauer, Springer, LeMayhew, Riel Muto, and uh, one that I'm forgetting are like unsigned, you know, like the, the like uh, Springer, or I probably already said Springer. Bauer, Springer, Springer, Real Muto, and Lomayhew. And Lomayhew, yeah, yeah. Un, unsigned, yeah. you know, like haven't haven't gone anywhere. So, yeah. you know, there's still like some of the biggest business of the off season is still to be done. What we've seen is a lot of trades and a lot of transactions from teams that frankly are shedding salary. Yeah. <laughs> the Cubs dumping salary, the, uh, the you know, Cleveland dumping salary, right? Like that's, this is, you know, the, the, the Rays shedding Blake Snell's salary. So that's, that's what we have seen to this point is a lot of transactions uh, on the trade market, but we haven't seen any of the big, you know, free agent fish be caught to this point. So, you know, it, it like very much reminds me of like, what, when was Hunjin Ryu signed? December 28th or something like that. Yeah. Like it reminds me of the discussions that were occurring on December 27th. You know, just, the Blue Jays missed on this guy and they missed on that guy. Yeah. They didn't get this guy and they're all talk and they're not going to do anything. I still, as I sit here today on Thursday, January 7th at 5.59 p.m. Eastern time, looking at you on Zoom, believe yeah. the Blue Jays are going to come away with a very impressive player in free agency. Yeah. I still yeah. fully believe that. <laughs> I, think, I, think <laughs> I so still too. believe they're going to make a very large commitment in free agency. Yeah. It just hasn't happened yet. I, I, I agree with you. Now, us thinking that doesn't make it true. And that it also doesn't, you know, we, it's not time to, it's not time to criticize the Blue Jays. It's not time to applaud the Blue Jays. It's just, yeah. 
you know, we're just kind of waiting, see what happens still, because it's kind of similar to the way things were on October 1st. No, totally. We're just kind of like following the breadcrumbs and like seeing, yeah. you'll look at footprints. All right. So the Blue Jays were here and the Blue Jays were there and we just haven't quite gotten to where, you know, they're going to end up. So yeah. yeah, you wait, like if at the end of this off season, if like it is the, you know, Hunjin Ryu is on the mound, rubbing up the baseball about to throw the first pitch of the 2021 season for the Toronto Blue Jays. And they have not made like a significant addition. We're going to criticize them. And we're going to say the Blue Jays had a very real opportunity here to get better. They had money to spend. They had prospect capital to use. Uh, they had opportunities around the, the diamond to make the field better. They had real holes they needed to address, real issues they needed to address. And they didn't do that. And that was a missed opportunity. And we'll say that. But we can't say that here on January 7th we're still in the middle of it we are prisoners to the moment right now um yeah. things are still happening trevor bauer had a phone call with the blue jays uh just seven days ago uh on new year's he's on zoom with with pete walker um you know i promise you that pete walker has been on zoom calls with more than one free agent pitcher this offseason the blue jays are talking to a lot of guys they're not going to get all of them maybe that means that they get bauer Maybe they don't get Bauer and they trade for Castillo. We don't know yet. Um, but I do think that like at the end of this, when Hunjin Ryu is rubbing up that baseball, that you were going to see some different players standing behind him or sitting in the bullpen or sitting in the dugout ready to start game two or game three who aren't there right now, who are like real impact players who are going to help this team win games. Totally agree. I mean, their third baseman is not going to be some minor league free agents you know it's their third starter is probably not going to be Robbie Ray I mean they're probably going to find someone who slots um ahead of ahead of him their third reliever in the bowl like I don't even know who that would be right now but like they're going to have someone beyond Do I guess Baraki. Delise Do Romano yeah, yeah Delise yeah. Romano Baraki like they're going to have more depth in the bullpen that to me those are certainties and I have no idea what it looks like um we can tell you you know to some extent, which players the Blue Jays like, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a long process. And again, there's another discussion to be had around whether it should be this long, but yeah, right now we're just in it. And you know, this is, uh, it's the reality of the long... structures of the game, right? Like yeah. of they're not being a, a salary cap and a salary floor and of, you know, teams having way, way more of the leverage with, you know, in, in this market and like you would have to, you know, there would have to be some serious upheaval and maybe we'll get a little bit of that in the next CBA. Yeah, um, maybe, that's gonna, maybe that's going to take a work stoppage for that to happen. I don't know. Uh, but like, yeah, the way things stand right now, we all wish it would move quicker. This has been an especially slow off season. Um, and I, you know, I don't know that it's going to, that the trades that we're seeing are going to necessarily spark any free agent activity, maybe a bit. Uh, I don't know if I'm a free agent right now, I'm still waiting for more teams to have some budget certainty, right. And to have some revenue certainty and to know, okay, when are games going to start? What, how many fans are we going to have in our ballpark? What kind of revenues can we expect? What kind of money are we going to make? Then how much can we spend on payroll? Like the reason why the blue Jays have been able to be as aggressive early on as they have been, is they separated out payroll from revenue. Like they said, like, Hey, like, look, didn't make any revenue and, 2020 and not expecting to make much in 2021, but ownership is letting us spend on payroll anyway, regardless of what our revenue is. That's not the case for most teams. For most teams, like payroll is directly tied to revenue and they don't know what their revenues are going to be. Now, vaccines get more prevalent and MLB like has a very real idea of what the season's going to look like and when games are going to be played, 
how many fans can be in ballparks that could change things. And then maybe all of a sudden teams are going to jump back in. So if I'm a player right now or a representative of a player, I'm waiting for some more of that certainty before I, you know, jump at the Blue Jays being the only team in the market right now that, that are really going to be splashing around any money. You know, it would be interesting because the Mets have been right along with them for so much of the off season. It would be interesting if the Blue Jays kind of become that lone team out there. I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, we'll see what happens. Like the Mets, they could blow past their self-imposed 190 and go to 210. Um, but, you know, the Jays are in a really interesting spot right now. They really are. What'd you make of, just to wrap up, uh, Liam Hendricks being spotted at the uh, the Blue Jays facility in, in Dunedin? Another thing that's happened recently that we yeah. haven't touched on. In, I mean, really interesting, I think. And great reporting by Shy right there to spot Liam Hendricks um, in Dunedin. Obviously, Hendricks is interested in seeing the new facility because he would have seen the old one before having been a member of the Jays two times already. So he wanted to see the new facility, apparently. And uh, that's a sign that the Blue Jays' interest is at least to some extent reciprocated because you're not making that drive from Fort Myers, where he lives, to Dunedin, unless you have a purpose. That's not necessarily just a drive you're going to take at a moment's notice or just for the pure sake of that drive, as you know, Arden. So, yeah, I think that um, it's it's really interesting. I think he'd be a great fit. I mean, I think he would really help this team, and uh, he'd be expensive, but good players cost a lot of money. They do. Um, that facility is like a really interesting selling point for the Blue Jays this offseason. So I'm not surprised that they would want to show it off to him in person. I feel like uh, maybe even as soon as next week, we're going to be getting some images of it. And we're going to be getting to see it just from some of the players that I've spoken to who have been through there, have been working out there. Like the reviews are, you know, rave like through the roof. Like guys, you know, are, are you know, ecstatic about this place. And they should be. It's a brand new facility designed like specifically to give them every tool and resource that they need as professional athletes uh you know in terms of training conditioning recovery rehabilitation um you know sports science you know studying video things like that like biomechanical tools i mean it's all there and uh you know apparently from what i've been told it's extremely impressive so it's interesting selling point for a you know a guy like hendrix who um you know isn't just going to be using that facility in the off seasons. And you mentioned, you know, this signing Hendricks is like at least three years, I would think maybe even four, um, but isn't only going to be using it in the off season and, and in spring training, but for this season in particular, like might be using it into the regular season. Yeah. <laughs> like Blue Jays yeah. players might be working out there the first couple months of the regular season and making use of what's, uh, of what's available there. Um, because, you know, there still aren't, necessarily major league adequate gyms available at the actual stadium in Dunedin. So it's probably if Blue Jays are playing in Dunedin and then, you know, to begin this year, you'd like to see a scenario where they're, you know, working out and doing a lot of their work over at the complex side and then just taking a bus or driving over to this, to the ballpark in Dunedin to, to play their games. So, you know, that, that's, you know, it's, it's an interesting selling point for the Blue Jays this, uh, this season. It's really interesting like thing for the Blue Jays going forward in terms of, selling young players on the program in terms of developing, helping guys get better. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a big competitive advantage, like once it is up and running and it very much has been this off season with like a number of camps being held there for young players and a lot of development time those missed out on this season being made up for. I wrote about that at, at sportsnet.ca. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting that, that he was there. I don't, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of competition for Liam Hendricks. And again, it'll bump up to the point where, you going to be rational on this free agent and finish third, or are you going to go 
above and beyond, um, Hendrix is really, really good. It's the best reliever available. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's probably going to take for the Blue Jays, like there's not going to be a discount here. It's going to be, I would think if he has multiple bidders, like tacking on a fourth year type of deal. Would you go four years if you were the Jays? It's always dangerous, man. Yeah. A reliever, right? Like <laughs> yeah. four years for a relief pitcher. And like, you know, Hendricks is a guy that you would bet on because he has been so, so, so good. Um, he was like used quite aggressively by Oakland, which would like be, you know, make me nervous. Like you're always nervous about a free agent deal, but then you look at like kind of the, the usage in Oakland. So, you know, if I'm the Blue Jays, I'd be wanting to run my battery of tests on his arm and just kind of see where he's at. Um, and what kind of durability you can expect going forward. Like that's the, that's the biggest thing in a free agent reliever contract, I think is like durability. Like, are you going to be able to take the mound regularly and be at your best? Um, Cause there's no denying Liam Hendricks' stuff. It's incredible. <laughs> it's yeah. Some of the best in baseball. Oh, yeah. So he just needs to be healthy enough to use it consistently and use it on back-to-back days. Um, like you can even, I like I forgot about this. So Liam, this is how stacked the 2015 Blue Jays team was. Liam Hendricks was on the 2015 Blue Jays, yeah, and on their playoff roster. And there was a game in the ALCS. I don't know if you remember when Dickey got like rocked and didn't make it out of like the first or second inning. And Liam Hendricks came in and threw like an absurd amount of pitches in relief and like saved them um, in a series. They eventually lost, but like saved their pitching staff in a really big way in like game three or game four of the ALCS and through, you know, like one of these like 60 pitch outings that he seems to, you know, with Oakland, we're seeing like yeah. these 49 pitch outings and you know, he's former starter, right? Yeah. But yeah. you know, to be doing that out of the bullpen with like inconsistent usage and not necessarily oh, yeah. being built up to that degree. Like this is a guy who, you know, has been kind of pushed to the limits for not just the last couple of years, but for a while now. So I guess what I'm kind of getting around here is you want to be pretty sure about the durability if you're going in for four years on a guy. Yeah. Just for fun. I'd say my offer would be 40 over three. So, okay. Now maybe that's too rational. Maybe I would finish third on something as well. I don't know, <laughs> but that's what, that's where I would land. Yeah. What do you think about, you know, the, the Blue Jays going to four for, for Liam Hendricks? I mean, it, you know, it's there. If they want to do it, like it would, it, it would make them throw a better... that question at me and make me answer it. And you're going to, well, I mean, I kind of gave you my, my answer yeah. is like, I would say I would, that's where I think would be the right kind of spot. It'll be 40 over three. So if, if Houston's offering him, 48 over four you kind of say all right you know right what i still don't understand is how brad hand passed through waivers at one year 10 million dollars i agree i don't think he should have and i think you know we're kind of seeing now that teams have been so slow to get their finances in order i really think that at that time teams were just not ready for it i really i really believe that so i think brad hand's going to sign for more than 10 million you know blake trining got 17 and a half blake like i know he was good blake trining's not that good you know, yeah. like he, his strikeout to walk ratio is like two to one, you know, right. he's, he's not like, he's not a totally game changing reliever. Um, he was non-tender a year ago. Yes. And I mean, and good for Blake Trinan, that's unreal. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I, you know, for Brad Hand, I think he's a better pitcher or at least has been a better pitcher, probably projects to be a better pitcher than Blake Trinan. 
So, I, I mean, I think Blake Trinan should do okay. Yeah, it was like one of those head scratchers for me that makes me think like there's got to be something, you know, with the medicals or something, but it doesn't seem like that's the case from what we understand. I don't know. Like it's, it's just one of those weird ones where it's like not even the Dodgers were like, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. 10 million, right? Like a, a team that's always, you know, trying to like build out its bullpen with guys yeah. like that. Um, it's a one-year deal at $10 million. Like worst comes to worst, you've got a good asset to move at the deadline likely. It is a weird one. It's among many weird things in this offseason. <laughs> okay. That's for well, sure. some dominoes are falling. Uh, they aren't falling towards the Toronto Blue Jays at this point, but it doesn't mean that they will not at some point. Um, and we'll be here to talk about it uh, when they ultimately do. Uh, that's Ben Nicholson-Smith. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers this week are Michael Mayers and Mike Tassoni. I want to thank you as always for listening. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.